Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki. You know what? I'm going to switch it up here. I'm going to let I'm going to let Frank the Tank have the first word after the week from hell in Jets Nation. That's right. We can't have anyone freak out out there. Okay, we've got to keep our composure. We've got too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to keep our composure. You know, that game was basically the equivalent of Will Ferrell in that cougar costume in old school trying to jump through the ring of fire and ending up with third-degree burns and almost costing everybody a chance at, at readmission into the university. I mean, the, the question right now is, is it panic time? Is the sky falling? I mean, it was cloudy with a chance of pizzas, at Bell MTS Place Monday night, not bad, that was pretty good. A brutal 6-1 loss to the Oilers, so don't worry, we'll wade through that one to kick off the episode here. But a ton of other stuff to get to as well. We got the Nick Ehlers injury, the announcement that came out, he's out until at least the entire regular season, hopefully good to go for the playoffs. We'll get into what that means for the Jets. The potential rivalry, jumping back to the weekend, that might be brewing between the Jets and Leafs. And then, of course, it feels like it was a, a long, long time ago, but Benchgate between Mark Shafley and Paul Maurice, all of that is going to come a bit later on in the episode. But let's get right to it. The debacle that we all had to witness, that 6-1 defeat to the Edmonton Oilers, that wasn't just the worst game, the worst loss of the regular season for the Winnipeg Jets. I think that was honestly one of the worst regular season performances we've seen in Jets 2.0. I'm not saying it's as bad as the the Columbus game that kind of ended the era of Claude Noel with the Jets, but it wasn't it wasn't all too far behind that. And look, and as someone tweeted at me, Connor McDavid is a cheat code. And he's going to make a lot of teams look foolish. I get that. But this was a little bit more than even just getting embarrassed by Connor McDavid. I mean, that stretch in the second period in particular, that looked like one team playing pawn hockey on a Sunday afternoon and another ready for an NHL game. I mean, we saw pockets of ice just wide open for the Oilers to skate through. Horrendous positioning, brutal decision-making, turnover after turnover, and 
and questionable back checking on a couple of those as well, leaving your Vesna nominated goaltender hung out to dry. So I, I don't know if I missed anything there. Let me know if I did. But I mean, the timeline was absolutely flooded with people saying either, you know, at least I didn't waste a couple hundy on that one or who's to blame the coach GM. Like we're getting into philosophical questions. After a loss like that, I, I don't really blame people for that either. You know, one of the things I wanted to do before recording is, you know, stay up a little bit and, and listen to Paul Maurice's presser and and what some of the players had to say as well. You know, Paul Maurice didn't tip his hand as to whether or not there would be changes in the decor, the forward lines, which is fair and what you would expect. The coach isn't going to say that publicly, you know, 20 minutes after his team got their fannies handed to them. But he did mention a number of times that there's another gear his team needs to get to. That, you know, the Leafs over the weekend and now the Oilers in their past couple of meetings, each of those teams has taken their level up a notch and the Winnipeg Jets haven't reached that level just yet. Is that what's plaguing this team right now? I mean, there's certain parts of the game that they can change how they play. I think they could be a hell of a lot smarter with the puck as we saw last night. And maybe not so careless when it comes to giving away possession of it. That that I would agree with 100%. But I, th- I thought the Jets played pretty physical and, I mean, worked their asses off against Toronto in a lot of stretches. You know, the first period, the Jets actually played not half bad against the Oilers for the first 17 minutes, at least, until everything fell apart in the final two minutes. And then the rest of the game that followed there. I just think what we're seeing is that when Connor Hellebuck isn't playing completely out of his mind, this team is fatally flawed. You know, it sucks to say that, but I don't know how you can't come to any other conclusion. And and yeah, you know, I mean, hey, Nikolai Ehlers being in the lineup obviously helps. Adam Lowry being in the lineup as well clearly helps the Jets and probably minimizes the damage in the game. But it doesn't change the fact that The real issue that we've seen for, I mean, two, maybe two and a half, three seasons now is the blue line with the personnel that is out there and is being deployed isn't anywhere near good enough against the upper echelon teams of the NHL or the North Division for that matter. And especially when Edmonton, Toronto are the teams above you and they have, you know, four of the most 10 dynamic players on the planet up front right now. And so, look, a little bit of blame goes to the general manager for not for not having greater options out there for you, or at least, you know, no doubt about it, better options to throw out there. And some of that goes on the coach, too, for playing guys out of position, out of their spot on the depth chart, and basically hoping for something that they're really not able to give you. Like, I, I don't think anybody is necessarily blameless in, in what we've seen on the defensive side of things this season at least, over the last four or five games or so. Now, the one thing that was, I mean, for me, it's been readily apparent all season now, but last night's game really, really drove the point home, and I hate to, you know, harp on a single guy here, but the Tucker-Pullman top pairing experiment needs to come to an end ASAP. I mean, and I'm not blaming Tucker-Pullman for this because, again, Paul Maurice is playing him way above water, way out of his league. He's a third-pairing defenseman who's being asked to play top-pair shutdown minutes with Josh Morrissey, who you know probably needs a little bit of help on his pairing as well. Like It's not Tucker Pullman's fault that he can't handle it. 
But the Jets just can't do this. Like they they cannot run that pairing down the stretch run, and especially once you get into the playoffs. And if it's going to be either Edmonton or Toronto that they face in round one, I, I mean Dave Tippett or Sheldon Keefe, they're going to just run that option ragged. They're they're going to exploit it at every chance they get. And whether it is McDavid or Drysdale out there for Edmonton in particular, it's a, it's a matchup Winnipeg is is just flat out not going to win. And if you look at the goals last night, I mean, Pullman was to blame for probably three of those. I mean, the first one loses a battle in the corner and allows Leon Dreisaitl to, you know, fire the puck into the middle and chase on, gets the opening goal of the night. I, I mean, there were so many goals, I'm kind of losing track, but, you know, he kind of blindly fired the puck in the offensive zone down low. That creates a turnover and an odd man rush going back the other way, another Edmonton goal. Then on the Darnell Nurse goal, which was number five on the night, I mean, Pullman tries to play the puck and the guy three separate times in the span of two seconds. He's all over the place. And eventually Nurse gets the one-timer across because, let's face it, Tucker Pullman is completely out of position there and chasing the puck all over the ice. So Paul Maurice made a change later in the game that we'll get to in the episode a little bit further on here. But I have to imagine that moving forward here through the stretch run that Tucker Pullman goes back to where he should be and probably where he's going to be most comfortable, which is on the third pairing, who his partner's going to be. That's a bit of a different story. The other issue is a little harder to try and, and fix and, and get that figured out heading down in the last eight games or so, and that's, Derek Forbort's continued struggles out there on the ice. I mean, he loses the puck pretty cleanly there, and that allows an odd man rush going back the other way. I think that was the Leon Dreisettle goal on an odd man rush. I mean, he just hasn't been right for a couple of months now. And it's, I mean, it's too bad because he had such a strong start to the season, but he's just not as steady and dependable as he was back then. The problem, though, is that, you know, while there may be an easier fix with the Tucker Pullman situation, the answer isn't as obvious with the other options that the Jets have on their back end. Because, I, I mean, I know a lot of people want to see Logan Stanley get a chance beside Neil Pionk, but Stanley has been a sheltered defenseman so far early on in his career on the third pair. While I would probably be okay with giving that a, a bit of a test run, there is still a fair amount of doubt as to whether or not that could work. Although, as I said, with Forbert's play, it, it probably is still a, a pretty decent improvement over what we've seen over the last little while. And then you have the real wild card in, in Vili Hainala. Haven't seen him since he had that one game reemergence into the lineup. And although he didn't turn heads in that one, it, it's fair to say he's clearly got the most potential Hey, realistically, of any Jets defenseman in the organization, but out of those three options, two on the left side, he's Billy Hanel has got the most potential as well. But then you get into the whole size debate again, where are you comfortable with having Neil Pionk and, and Billy Hanela on the same pairing to two defensemen that, I mean, what are they, 5'11", 5'11", and 5'9", something like that? I, I, I can understand some hesitancy in, in putting those two together out there on the ice. And then you'd have Morrissey, who's not undersized, but not a big guy either. 
I mean, at this point, would it kill you to give Logan Stanley a period beside Neil Pionk? Maybe that's where I'm at with it right now. Can it get a whole lot worse? Ah, man, I, I don't think it can. And if it doesn't work after a period or two, then you throw the vet back beside there and, and Derek Forward gets his spot back. But I, I, I would be okay with kind of throwing Logan Stanley into the fire here. And seen what the kid can do. He, he's impressed us and basically proven everybody wrong with how well he's played so far this season. Why not give him another shot to do that? I, I would love to see it happen. I'll be shocked if it does. I imagine Derek Forbert holds his spot there on the second pairing. But I would be intrigued just to see what that might look like for a little bit. And even if you wanted to give Forbert, say, a night off and mentally, physically refresh and all that... Why not go Stanley Pionk and Vili Hainala, Tucker Pullman as your third pairing? I, I'd, I would love to see that in action. Give that a test run, and if it doesn't work, then you can throw some of the vets and the side, all, all that crap. You can put it back out there, and that's what you go with heading into the playoffs. But I just don't think at this point Paul Maurice can keep throwing out the same rotation that he has on the blue line into the last eight games here. Like, there has to be some pretty significant changes. I think there will be one up at the top there, but I wouldn't be all that opposed to seeing something change on the second and the third pairs as well. Now, let's talk forward lines. A big-time shakeup, and it's going to continue this way through the end of the regular season. Nikolai Ehlers is out for the final eight games of the year. It's tough to say how it looked because everybody basically sucked in that game, right? No, no, I, I think, you know what, I, I was intrigued before the game about the Shifley-Cop-Appleton trio. That was, I mean, those three were on the ice and produced in, in kind of a weird way. They weren't a line, but three of them were on the ice in one of the games against Toronto. And they had two goals, I think, in the first period alone. And I kind of wondered to myself, hmm, maybe that's a... Maybe that's something that Paul Maurice might want to give another look to later on. And lo and behold, he's forced into doing that just a couple of days later. I, I thought they looked pretty good, to be honest. I, I think there's there could be something there. And we'll get into this when we talk about the Nikolai Ehlers injury. But there could very well be you know a bit of a silver lining to Nick Ehlers being done for the last eight games. Is that it could... It could force Paul Maurice into kind of rethinking the philosophy behind how he suits up his forward lines. And it, it could really drastically change the the look of the forward core heading into the playoffs. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. I did think that Shifley Appleton cop looked good, though. And, I mean, it was a power play goal. The power play actually looked good, too, you know, going back to pretty much the old setup. But, I mean, good to see Mark Shifley get a goal there. But if it wasn't for a couple surprisingly nice Mike Smith saves, I think Shifley, Cop, and Appleton might have got on the score sheet themselves a couple times in the game. So when you're trying to find a a slight positive or two in a game that was absolutely crap, maybe that was one of the few for the Winnipeg Jets. Dubois, Stasny, Wheeler, that was, I, I don't even know if you can say mixed bag, guys. That They just didn't play well. None of them did. Blake Wheeler had a great back check in the second period on an odd man rush to, to thwart an Edmonton scoring chance, but that was pretty much it as far as highlights from that line. I mean, Dubois had that brutal turnover that led to the first Edmonton goal, I believe. 
They, they just didn't look all that great. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily throw that line out the window and you're not expecting a whole lot from them moving forward. But as far as, you know, their debut performance, it was a complete dud. And I was kind of hoping to, to see Pierre-Luc Dubois have maybe a breakout performance for the Jets because I thought he looked pretty good against Toronto. He was physical and engaged, and I thought, you know, maybe that's going to lead to a, a production burst for him. But it kind of went back to the same underwhelming Dubois that we've seen since he came over in the trade from Columbus. So the Jets, I mean, Paul Maurice's goal up front here is still going to be heading down into the postseason. Who is going to unleash the best of Pierre-Luc Dubois, and how can we get him going and back to get back to the guy that he was during the Columbus Blue Jackets playoff runs the past two seasons. Now, we touched on the one kind of slight positive with the Shafley cop appleton line. To me, there was one actual positive. One thing that actually well bode well for the Winnipeg Jets here. And it happened in the third period a period that really didn't mean anything for the team because the game was completely done and out of reach. But finally, finally, we saw the reemergence. DeMello Morrissey reunited as the team's top pairing. It's been a long time coming. We have seen just the briefest of pockets of those two playing together this season, but we saw it for a full 20 minutes last night. And yes, Small sample size of the largest proportion. I thought it was the best Josh Morrissey's looked all season. I thought Dylan DeMello looked great. I thought the pairing looked great. Whenever they were out there, they were crisp. They were moving the puck. Didn't spend much time in their own zone when they were in their own end. I mean, Dylan DeMello himself made a couple of great outlet passes to get going the other way. He just, Josh Morrissey needs somebody like that. Somebody that can help him carry the load when it comes to moving the puck out of their own end. And Dylan DeMillo does that sneakily well. He's also so smart. He makes so many. He's he's almost like Paul Stasny on the blue line in a way. Like he makes so many, so many plays that won't catch you on the highlight reels. But a bunch of little tiny paper cuts that by the end of the night... Your opponent shredded to ribbons and you're wondering why. Well, it's because Dylan DeMello is making smart play after smart play. And I thought he did that a ton with Morrissey there in the third period. So for me moving forward here, that has to be the top pair, no doubt about it. No questions asked. And anything less than that is a major failure by Paul Maurice. There, to me, there is absolutely... No rationale for continuing with the Morrissey-Pullman top pairing and having DeMello stuck dominating third pair minutes it's finally time and especially when you're playing Edmonton and Dave Tippett can throw either a McDavid or a dry line out there or you're playing Toronto and they can throw Matthews or Tavares out there on the ice you want to make sure that you have I mean two pairings that you can really trust Pyong's been great forward less so but you need you need 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 Josh Morrissey playing at his best and I really do think Dylan DeMello is going to help unlock the best we've seen from Josh Morrissey this season. Fascinated to see what the defensive pairings are going to be in the rematch against the Oilers on Wednesday night. Like I said, it would be a major, major bummer. And, and really disappointing not to have Dylan DeMello earn his spot right beside Josh Morrissey on the right-hand side. 
Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up from the Oilers game. I don't know if I want to get into a whole lot more from it. You guys are... Hey, if you think I missed anything, again, let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki. I'd be more than happy to reply to you. I guess one last thing before we move on here. You know, my buddy Jim Toth tweeted this out after the loss. And it's a it's an interesting point. It's a valid point, too. Um, but his quote was, look, it's either better to be happening now than in two weeks during the playoffs or what we're seeing is the beginning of the end, <laughs> right? Like, it, it, if you want to try and turn it into a positive, maybe you can. Or it's the biggest negative and big-time changes are going to be on the way pretty soon once the team heads into the offseason. Which one is it? I mean, hey, look, there, there's no doubt about it. If if you want to get your, your crappy games out of your system, now is the time to do it. Although I will say, you know, last night should be the last crappy game. Wednesday should be the beginning of of much more structured, much more solid play from the Jets to get themselves ready for the postseason. But at the same time, I, I do really wonder if this was the beginning of the end of an era, perhaps. You know, there's been some some rumblings and some inklings here and there of of discord and discontent within the locker room. And, you know, the coaching staff is under a ton of pressure. <laughs> The front office is under a ton of pressure as well to try and win and to do so quickly right now. I I do wonder if, you know, what we're seeing right now, and, and not that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying either that the Jets are going to go into the playoffs, flame out, lose four in a row, and it's alarm bells time come off season. I'm not saying that. I still think that once they get into the dance, they could very easily come out of the North Division and, and head to the NHL's Final Four. But at the same time, they could also have a tough time in round one and, you know, not end up advancing and, and doing much damage at all. So we'll see. I, I mean, it's major cut check time starting with the game Wednesday against Edmonton to see what kind of pushback this team has and and if they're going to be a competitor once they head into that playoff matchup against either Edmonton or Toronto. It looks like right now, I, I don't think, you know, a lack of bite is necessarily the problem with this team. But I, I'm just intrigued to see what the response is going to be from the players and from the coaches as well. Because I, I do get the sense that the winds of change might be blowing in sooner rather than later. And we could have ourselves a pretty interesting offseason on tap here in Winnipeg. All right, we got three quick hitters before we call it quits for today's episode. Before we get to that, though, we got to give a shout out to the homies, the crew, DraftKings, and basketball season won't be around forever. DraftKings will be around forever, but basketball's regular season won't be, so you better get in on the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. And DraftKings is giving new players like you a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes by using code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is super simple. Pick the lineup, stay under the cap, and check out how your team stacks up against the competition and win a little cash in the process. Every dunk, steal, assist, it all means so much more with a daily DraftKings fantasy lineup. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so if you did, now's the time to get in on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain for you. And with DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so really, what are you waiting for? 
Just head to the app now and get some money. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Again, that's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Let's get into it here. Still probably the crappiest part of the day yesterday. Even worse than that loss to the Oilers. Nick Ehlers, done for the regular season, undisclosed injury. Now, going back to the Toronto game, it it sure looked like that hit by Jake Muzzin was the the final blow, if you will, of what knocked Nikolai Ehlers out. I mean, maybe a shoulder, maybe a wrist, something, something upper body it looked like to me at least. He had some trouble getting off the ice, although... Nick Ehlers didn't have trouble coming back on the ice a shift later and sticking it to old man Joe Thornton. That was the craziest thing, by the way. It, it looked like like Joe Thornton is so damn old, and it was, it was scary watching him snap. It, it was like watching your old man freak out at you when you were a kid. Like I, I It made me uncomfortable. I didn't like it. And Nikola Ehlers arguably got the better of the old man in that situation. Like, it was just a weird, bizarre, trippy sequence that, let's just move past it. It, it, it <laughs> I, I just didn't expect it. I didn't I didn't think on Winnipeg Jets' bingo card we would have Joe Thornton meltdown at the hands of Nikolai Ehlers. But back to more serious topics here. What does the Ehlers injury mean for the Winnipeg Jets in the last eight games of the regular season? Well, it means they're a much worse team. Like, I mean, we don't have to get into how big of a loss it is for the Jets. I mean, in my opinion, he's their best player. So, yes, obviously losing him hurts. But if we're going to try and look for some silver linings here, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, now that he's out, now that you can't necessarily bank on Nikolai Ehlers carrying his own line outside of what Mark Scheifele's doing, Paul Maurice is is arguably forced into going with a truly balanced top nine and maybe even a top 12 when, when Nick Ehlers comes back because you really need to find a way to spread the wealth out and it just makes things interesting for what the forward lines could look like if the Jets have success with that way and then Nikola Ehlers does come back into the lineup, right? It gives you the option of, I don't know, maybe rolling with that four-line center quadrant of Shifley, Dubois, Stasny, Lowry once Adam Lowry comes back from injury. There's that option. And then the Jets would be the deepest team in the North Division. There, there's there's a lot of intrigue that can come from this. So I, I'll i be fascinated to see how Paul Maurice works his lineup down the stretch here and, and how much tinkering he does and if that's going to stay come playoff time. Because, you know what, with Nicky out, if he can come back rested and fully healthy for game one of the postseason, you might see a, a much more vaunted Winnipeg Jets attack. Something that's been muted pretty well in these past few games. A lot of you guys have mentioned to me on Twitter that, you know, all this talent, well, why is it showing up on the scoreboard for the Winnipeg Jets? We'll see if, you know, in, in an ironic sort of way, their most dynamic player missing some time maybe forces some other guys into bigger roles and ultimately makes the Jets lineup a little more dangerous once everyone is back healthy and ready to go. 
Now, I didn't expect this after the the last two games against the Maple Leafs, both Toronto victories in Winnipeg. Uh, and, and it kind of blindsided me because of the Edmonton performance last night. I do wonder if, if more Jets fans would rather see the Leafs in round one than the Edmonton Oilers at this point. I mean, mainly just to avoid Connor McDavid, who is averaging, let me check here, oh, eight points a game against the Jets this season. Yeah, maybe they should try to avoid McDavid and the Oilers. Uh, but, I mean, what stood out to me, you know, going back to the weekend, the, the Thursday and Saturday games against Toronto is, that is an old-fashioned rivalry brewing, baby. I mean, that was, the results weren't great, but that was fun hockey. That was entertainment. And and for two teams that are kind of known for their offensive firepower, those were physical, nasty, I mean, let's be honest, dirty games as well on, on both sides. I mean, Matthew Pro took one on Thursday night from Joe Thornton that he gave one right back to John Tavares on Saturday night. There there was a ton of hits, a ton of physicality, and obviously bad blood that, you know, outside of even Thornton and Ehlers for a second, it, it continued throughout basically every single person out there in the lineup both nights. I I would be down. Hey, sign me up for seven games at Jets Lees. I think that would be fascinating hockey, especially if that was the round one matchup. That would, I mean, for Toronto, a team that is just so desperate to get any kind of positivity come playoff time under their belts, the Jets would be one hell of a tricky matchup where you could you could possibly get, you know, a Vezna-level goalie get hot, a team that's deadly on the counterattack, pot a couple that way, and all of a sudden, you know, their asses are against the fire and, and Toronto's really feeling it there. I do wonder which matchup Jets fans would be more in tune with right now, not knowing how the final, you know, eight games of the season play out. Let me know on Twitter. Again, hit me up at Brandon underscore Rewiki. Would you rather see the Jets face the Edmonton Oilers or the Toronto Maple Leafs in round of the in in round in round one of the NHL postseason in uh, just a couple weeks time here? It, it's a weird question because to me the Leafs are easily you know, not light years, but to me, they are the class of the North Division. They're the most well-rounded team. Edmonton is clearly the most potent, though, with McDavid and Dreisaitl up front with them. And, I mean, hey, give Mike Smith some credit. He's having himself a hell of a season, too. But there's something about the fragility of Toronto that that kind of intrigues me and, and maybe attracts me. It's like it's like a, a bright light to a moth, right? Like I wanna, I wanna see that psyche that could be damaged up close and personal, and see if the Winnipeg Jets couldn't put that organization into a total tailspin. It's a tough one either way, but there's something kind of morbid to me that wants me to see the Jets go up against the Maple Leafs in round one. One last thing to get to here before we close out the episode, and it was, you know, it was maybe the story across the entire NHL Saturday and then early Sunday. But the benching of Mark Shifley, we all know it by now. I saw it happen in real time, and I wondered what Paul Maurice's reaction was going to be, mainly because I didn't really expect one out of him. It, I mean, if you watch the shift back, it's not even, to me, necessarily the, the end of it, where you see Mark Shifley coast to the bench. You know, he doesn't get off hard, and I think it was Dubois that comes on for him. He can't get back in time to break up the two-on-one. I don't even know if it was necessarily like that specific moment there. But Shifley and Wheeler were out there together on that four-on-four. Four. 
And Wheeler went off about 40-ish seconds or so into the shift. So, I mean, a, a good shift time for him. And there was a chance for Mark Shifley to change. And he didn't do it right after Blake Wheeler did. And he went on the attack offensively, trying to get something going there. Puck comes back. He's a little more tired. It's about a minute 10, minute 15 into his shift at that point. And then we see the coast job by Mark Shifley into the Winnipeg bench. I mean, it was a clear, if, if you guys watch junior hockey or anything like that, this is something that once they get into the NHL, coaches try to take out of players' games. But if you are a star in junior in the in the WHL or even in junior A or something, that's a junior shift, right? The star stays out there for two minutes trying to poach some offense, and you're basically coasting around hoping for a freebie somewhere. That flies there. It does not fly in the NHL. And that, to me, was what pissed off Paul Maurice more than anything is that, and we've seen this from Mark Shifley in the past too, this season in particular as well, that he's not afraid to let the shift length go on well over a minute in trying to stay out there for some point production. And you know what? I'll give Paul Maurice full credit for this one. He had to bench Mark Shifley there, and he did it. You, you cannot let that slide, especially with how the past week or so has been for the team. The magnitude of that game, you know it's a national one. It's a big matchup against the Leafs, a chance to maybe you know, push for top spot in the division, home ice advantage throughout. You could not let that slide. And so 100% on board with Paul Maurice and benching Mark Shafley in that situation, sitting him for the, what was it, the final half of the second period or so, 13 minutes I think it was. Now, Mark Shifley doesn't get a chance to start the period to get onto the ice. A couple of penalty kills for the Winnipeg Jets. So he sits another four or five minutes or so. Then he gets back out there on the ice. I also agree with that decision. I think, to me, benching Mark Shifley for the entire game at that point would have been overkill. Right? Like, you get the message at that point if, if you're a star player in that situation. Yeah, I screwed up. I can't do that. Got it. I'll be better moving forward in this game. I'm going to be a little pissed off about it too. And then we can discuss it face-to-face, you know, maybe a day or two after this. Because if you keep pushing that one along, you really strain the relationship between the coach and the players or the coach and the star players in this case. So I I thought Paul Maurice, I'll I'll give him full credit for that one. I thought he handled it extremely well. And on top of that, I mean, at that point too, in the third period, you were down two goals, I believe. You have a chance to win that hockey game. And you're not doing that without Mark Shifley in the lineup. So get him out there and try to win yourselves a hockey game. It didn't work, but I think it was still handled well by Paul Maurice in that situation. What was really intriguing, of course, is the fallout from that afterwards. And obviously the coach is going to try to pour some cold water on everything. And the player is going to be, I, I mean, I don't want to say rightfully ticked off because, you know, it was on Mark Shifley in that situation. He earned the benching. But you knew he was going to be a little bit hot, right? And I think he even threw in a dam in the post game, right? Like, he's supposed to not swear. Dam's on the low end, but it might still be a swear. I don't know. So he was obviously a little hot afterwards about it. But I don't know. Again, we we, we talked about maybe a bit of a disconnect between the coach and the general manager. When Kevin Chevaldeoff made his comments about Vili Hainala right after the trade deadline saying, I want to see him get more time out there. Hopefully we can get him into the lineup soon. And then you saw Mark Shifley speak 
I would say speak out against what Paul Maurice did to him. It's not, I mean, he could have very easily said, you know what, my mistake, earned it, we're moving on from this. He came out and is like, no, I don't agree with it. I didn't I didn't agree with it at the time, but it is what it is and, and we'll go on from there, right? Like, he was still a little upset about that, you know, 24 hours after the whole situation played itself out. So it's just these little breadcrumbs here and there that are really intriguing to me. Um, but pushing that aside for a second, you know, a lot of people in this market give Paul Maurice a ton of grief for a number of his coaching decisions. To be fair, myself included in that, I think it's only fair that we give him, you know, a bit of a pat on the back when he does something that is the right move in this situation. And I think as far as coaching goes, Paul Maurice handled that Mark Shifley benching about as good as you can do in this day and age where you have to deal you know, a little more delicately with the uh, the star players than you might have done, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget, subscribe, review, rate. Only review and rate if it's positive, though. If it's negative, just shut your computer off. Don't listen to me anymore. I'm kidding, but not really. Give me five stars, please. <laughs> but do all that if you can. It really helps me out. We're back on Friday with another episode for you guys. We'll get into that rematch against the Edmonton Oilers on a Wednesday night. Another food interview coming your way as well. Hopefully you guys made it out, by the way, to the mac and cheese pop-up that we talked about on Friday with uh, Loaf and Honey and Barnhammer Brewing. The mac and cheese was absolutely outstanding. Um, if you get a chance to buy the cheese, they can't call it Trappist because Dustin Peltier is not a monk. Uh, but it was taught to him by a monk in a monastery. The cheese is outstanding, so make sure, if you can, support local and help local out and, and grab some good food from the good crew down there at Loaf and Honey. Uh, but we got another food interview coming your way. You guys are going to love this one as well. That'll be on tap for you on a Friday morning. But again, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki. Until next time, peace.